Welcome to the Eastside Church Podcast. We're a community-driven church based in Charlotte, North Carolina, and invite you to join us on Sundays at 9 or 11 a.m. For more information, visit our website, eastsidechurch.co. Golly, the Lord must be multiplying it. Thank you, Lord. 34. Hey, y'all. <laughs> That's a pretty good start to Wednesday night. Yeah? Thank you, Lord. Cool. Let's go. I got 34 minutes in me at least. Or if you guys want to go an hour and 10, which is about what I have, we can do that tonight. Otherwise, come back next week. You know I'm better in person and so is the Lord. So this is part one of a two-part series. Next part, next Wednesday. So on Sunday... Pastor Alex made a comment that went something like this. There's more expectation from the Lord on this age being the church age than any other age in history. You guys remember that comment? Okay. That's what I want to continue talking about tonight. And the reason that there's more expectation on our age than any other age in church history is we have the greatest outpouring ever known to mankind. And to whom much is given, much is required. So with the outpouring comes the expectation. Tonight, we're going to talk about the Bema. How many in this room know what that, that, that word means? Are you familiar with it? Bema? Bema? Hands, hands, hands? Four. <laughs> That's funny. Bema. The title of the message tonight, part one, is Bema. Run. Did you get it? Bema. Run. <laughs> kind of like, bear, run. Yeah? Cool. Let's pray. Father, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Speak to us, Father. Teach us, God. Continue to meet with us as you have already. We give you honor and glory. Thank you that you set us free, Father, with truth by changing the way that we think. And so we ask you to do that tonight. In Jesus' name, thank you for your faithfulness. Amen. Amen. Bama, run! I like doing that. That's fun. I might do that three or four more times. I'll tell you what Bama means. Bama means the judgment seat of Christ. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. A couple more hands have heard of that, yes? The judgment seat of Christ. That word in the Greek is Bama. Okay? Now, question for you. When I say the judgment seat of Christ, first word or emotion that comes to you, shout them out at me. Come on, loud, louder, louder. Keep going. You guys are cheating. Pretend like I did not tell you, Bama. When I say judgment seat of Christ, what emotion or word or thought comes to mind? Thank you. Thank you for someone honest in the room. I heard judgment. I heard tears. I heard gavel. Justice. Justice. Any other, any other thoughts come to mind? What? Say that again. Every knee will bow. Yeah. Cleansing. Has no one said fear yet? Really? You are a holy bunch. Let me, let me be the honest one. Fear. Uncertainty. 
Right? Did you say fear? Timidity, hesitancy. Can't hear. I got this thing in my ear. Right? Some of that, like, ah, I don't know. A little bit of nervousness. Is that fair? Are Pastor and I the only ones in the room that might feel a little bit of that? Okay. I'll preach to you and me, brother. (laughs) Accountable. Yeah, all those things. You know, I think it's incredible that you shared um, that scripture out of Timothy, if it's in Timothy, Lord, keep me honest. He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind, because what we're going to talk about this Wednesday and next is that type of mentality, except about the judgment seat of Christ. Think about that. Has not called us to be fearful about that. He wants us to have that same spirit of power towards his judgment seat, of love toward his judgment seat, and of a sound mind toward his judgment seat. I will agree with uh, Gavel for sure. You know, when you think about that, courtroom kind of comes to mind. Judge up there in his seat declaring sentences of guilty or innocent. Yeah? Okay, cool. So I want to talk about why we have maybe a little bit of that picture in our minds. But before I do, let me just say this. Let me speak to Wynn a little bit. It's funny, Alex and I were having a conversation earlier in the day along some of these lines, and I'm not going to dive into all the eschatological conversations that you can get into, right, in time speak around this subject, y'all, because it's a a long, deep hole, if you will. Another conversation for another day. What I will say about the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ, is it's going to happen at the rapture, at the resurrection of the dead. Those two things happen in tandem. That's in 1 Thessalonians I believe. So the dead in Christ will rise first, and then those that are still here will rise and join with them in the air. Luke 4 talks about the, the righteous being repaid at the resurrection of the dead. So tie those two ideas together. The Bema, the judgment seat of Christ happening at the resurrection of the dead, also the rapture. Fair? That's as far as I want to go with that. Now, what I want to talk about is why we have some of those I'll call them negative emotions about the judgment seat of Christ or at, at best uncertainty around some things, okay? So let's start with Colossians 3, 23 through 25. I'm gonna read it to you. <clears throat> Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance For you serve the Lord Christ. Do you guys hear it? You will receive the reward of the inheritance. Everybody say reward. Unfortunately, the scripture does not end there. It keeps going. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. And there is no partiality. Okay? So when I read that, y'all, again, I'll be honest. And, And again, we're talking about the judgment seat of the Lord here. When I read that, this is what I hear. For those things that I've done good, there'll be reward. For those things that I've done bad, there will be retribution. There will be consequence. There will be repayment. Is there anyone else in the room that reads that scripture that way? Thank you. Honesty, too. Thank you, Lord. I appreciate it. (laughs) 
You guys are so afraid of each other. It's okay. Um, not scriptural. Not scriptural to read that scripture that way. You want to know why? Because exactly what you just said, it makes the sacrifice of Jesus insufficient. If you read that scripture that way, then what you're agreeing with, what you're claiming is Jesus, your finished work is enough to cover some of my sin and some of the consequence of my sin, but not all of it. Is that a fair statement, y'all? Either he covered it or he didn't. Okay? So we have to read that scripture differently than that. And let me give you two different versions, and, and you can ask the Lord about it, because honestly, I don't know. This is not a I have all the answers sermon. But what I will say is either the first part of that scripture is talking to believers, okay? Your inheritance, your reward, your inheritance, because you serve the Lord Christ, Christ followers, right? And then the second part is talking about unbelievers, but those who do wrong will be repaid. Do you hear that? So that may be one, y'all. Another might be that the whole scripture applies to believers. But what I will say and what I will say with incredible confidence is if that is talking to believers, then the wrongdoing and the repayment is not the wrath of God, is not retribution, is not consequence. It's just a missing out on reward. Do you guys hear it? Okay. This is very important. I'm going slow and I'm going slow on purpose because we've got to get this first part right. Or we're going to be a mess. We're going to be in fear. That's what's going to happen if we don't get this. So let me say of the judgment seat of Christ what it's not. It's not a place where our sin will be recounted and consequences will be dealt out. Okay? With confidence, <clears throat> God's wrath has already been poured out on Jesus in full. Isaiah 53. Okay? So 2 Corinthians 5.21 talks about that Jesus became sin for us. All the sin that was in the world was placed on Jesus, and the wrath of God the Father was poured out on him entirely. Okay? So there is no more payment for sin for those who believe in Jesus and who trust in his sacrifice. It goes that far. Listen to this. I'm going to read this so I can give you guys some scripture. God's wrath has already been poured out on our sin in Jesus. We're now new creations reconciled and his righteousness. Just quoted that. With reference to sin, scripture teaches that the child of God under grace shall not come into judgment. Here's your references. John 3, 18, John 5, 24, John 6, 37, Romans 5, 1, Romans 8, 1, 1 Corinthians eleven thirty two. 32. Standing before God, right, on the ground that Jesus paid it all, the entire penalty for sin, past, present, future. And now, <laughs> now we've been born by Christ as a believer that's not only placed beyond condemnation, but being in Christ is accepted in the perfection of Christ. Do you all hear that? Accepted in the perfection of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.30, Ephesians 1.6, Colossians 2.10, Hebrews 10.14. And loved of God as Christ is loved. John 17.23. Okay? It's recorded for you, Nyla. It's okay. I know I'm going quick. I want to mention the scripture so that you guys know that Brandon's not sharing his opinion with you. Okay? That's 
what they're there for. I read an article on Bible.org. This is what it said. I didn't think I could put it better myself, so here it is. The Bema is not to judge believers for sin of any kind, confessed or unconfessed. Scripture teaches that for the believer, God's justice has already been fully and forever satisfied at the cross in relation to the believer's sins. If God were to punish the believer judicially for his sins, for which Christ has already rendered payment, he would be requiring two payments for sin and would therefore be unjust. Such a concept, being punishment for sin, erroneously disparages. You know what that means? Takes away from, in a major way, the all-sufficiency of Christ's death on the cross. Christ paid the penalty for the sins of the believer pre- and post-conversion. Do you guys hear that? That's so important, y'all. Robert and I were having this conversation the other day. I don't really struggle that God forgave me of my sins before I came to him and before I fully surrendered my life and before I came a believer. The struggle for me comes with the sins that I've committed since then. The struggle for me comes with the sins that I will commit between now and when I see him. Those are the ones that I struggle with a little bit. And before we really move forward to the type of places that you're talking about and being the kingdom carriers that God's called us to be, we have to get an incredibly firm grasp on Jesus covered it all. God the Father transcended space and time and figured out a way to cause all sin for all peoples for all time to come to one person in, in a fixed moment of time and exist in one body. And he judged him. And there is no second judgment. Not for those who trust in the finished work of Jesus. You guys got it? We need to divorce ourselves from the thought that we'll be held accountable for sin. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Sins, that is. Yesterday's sins, today's sins, tomorrow's sins. Divorce yourself from that line of thinking. It's been paid for. Now, we're talking about the judgment seat of Christ. And so let me say this. Let me, let me rein it back in a little bit because that's a pretty big statement. And say this. It is asinine to think that the Lord will reward your bad decisions. You hear it? Right? There's not going to be wrath poured out. Okay? But he's also not going to reward my stupidity or yours. Right? That's as ludicrous as for me to speak to you as a parent and say, don't you just want to reward your kiddo when they act like a little terrorist? <laughs> no! You don't. You're not going to reward that. You really don't even want to reward them when they're just kind of doing what they're supposed to do. You want to reward when they go above and beyond, right? And you see that. So when I'm saying that at the judgment seat, sin is not going to be a part of the conversation, you need to hear it this way. The Lord is not going to recall your sin. Hold it over your head. Make you feel less. Make you feel small make you feel inadequate, make you feel like a failure. And he's certainly 
not going to extend wrath towards you. Okay? But the Lord's not going to reward bad behavior. Is that a fair statement? Okay? So it plays, but it plays in a very particular, in a very narrow way into the conversation. Okay? This is a big conversation, y'all. That's why we're covering it in two weeks. I just want to start with that in mind. So that's the first place that I think we really get hung up is that somehow the Lord's going to judge us, right? Judge our bad decisions. Judge our sin. It's not. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Okay? He took it. Here's the second place I feel like we get hung up with the judgment seat of Christ is the judgment part of it. The fact that that word is there makes it seem a little bit negative, makes it seem something that, ah, I don't know, a little courtroomish. Okay? A little bit like the Lord is there and he might not be there in my best interest or your best interest. Would you guys agree? That's why I love bringing the word and the idea of Bema to you. And we're going to talk about that. But let me just say this before we get there. Bless you. God's heart for that day is to reward you. Cheer up. God's heart for that day is to reward you and me. That's what he's there for. That's what his intent at the judgment seat of Christ is to shower reward on you. Okay? All right. Let me, let me back it up a little bit. In Revelation 22, 12. No, I don't want to do that one. Scratch that one. I don't want to start there. I want to start Hebrews eleven six. 6. Hebrews eleven six 6 says this. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because the one that comes to him must believe that he is and that he is a... Come on, say it like you mean it. Rewarder. Rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He is a rewarder, my rewarder, your rewarder. That is his heart toward you. Let's not, when we think about the Bema, when we think about the judgment seat of Christ, it can't be this isolated event where God ceases to be what he's always been and what he wants to be in the future. He is a rewarder. He has goodwill toward you. It is the gospel, the good news, right? So let's go from there to Romans 8.1. If God be for us, who can be against us? So it's good news. He's for you. He's for me. He's for us. And that doesn't change. Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ, yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same, right? So he's for you and me right now. Guess what he'll be on the day of the judgment seat when we stand before him face to face? He'll be for you. Isn't that good news? Don't you guys wonder? I mean, come on. That helps me, y'all, to think you're still going to be for me. It's not just like you're going to be for me my whole life, and then I'm going to see you face to face. When you're standing in judgment over me, use that word loosely, and you're not going to be for me then. You are going to be for me, right? Revelation 22, 12. Now you can put it up. Thank you so much. <clears throat> up there? And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Do you guys hear that? 
Michael, I'm coming over to your house tomorrow, and my reward is with me. Come on. Come on, baby. That's exactly right. You know, he doesn't say, I'm coming and my judgment's with me. I'm coming and my belittlement is with me. My accusation is with me. My poke holes in all that you are and all that you've done your whole life is with me. He says, I'm coming and my reward is with me and I'm ready to give it. Isn't that good? Oh my goodness, y'all. That helps me. I hope it helps you. I do. I do. I have on here, what if he's looking to fill in the gaps instead of poke holes? a different mentality altogether, you know? Because if I'm standing in, some in front of someone that, that has power over me, and they're there to poke holes, and they're there to find fault, and they're there to find all the failures, I'm in trouble. I can't be good enough. But if they're there to find any way they can to reward me and bless me and give to me, right? That's a different story. He's for you. He's coming with reward. Okay? Good so far? All right. So, Bema, honestly, y'all, you won't hear me say things like this very often, but honestly, if I could rename it, I would. From judgment seat to reward seat. Because the judgment that's going on looks like this a weighing, a measuring, okay? An evaluation of our works. Not innocent, guilty, right? That's the judgment. That's the, <laughs> Aubrey, that's the, that's the judgment that's going on there, okay? So let me, let me, let me help you a little bit with this word, bema. Um, another article online here, this is from Bible.org. Bema is found in two places in the New Testament. I'm going to say them slow for you, Nyla. Romans 14.10 and 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11. That's the only two places in the New Testament you're going to find the term judgment seat, which is bema in the Greek. In the Gospels, it was a platform for the Roman magistrate, okay? So it would be more traditional, a place where decisions were passed and verdicts were passed and, and you know, verdicts of innocence or guilt or those kind of things were passed. But in the writings of Paul... Something entirely different. Because Paul was constantly referring to the Greek games. You guys with me so far? Have I committed blasphemy yet? Okay. Use in the epistles in keeping with Paul's many references to the Greek games is as followed. The word was taken from the Isthmian, we'll just call them Greek games, where the contestants would compete for the prize under the careful scrutiny of judges who would make sure that every rule of the contest was obeyed. Reference for you, 2 Timothy 2.5. The victor of a given event who participated according to the rules was led by the judge to a platform called the... Ah, three of you are following me. The judge led the athlete, the victor, keep that in mind, that's important, led the victor over to a platform that was called the Bema, and he led him or her there. I don't know if women competed in the Greek games, Maybe. For the distribution of awards. That's what happened there. That's what happened on this platform. By the way, it just means raised platform, couple steps that go up to it. Where rewards were distributed, it would have been the, the reef that we're, we're familiar with, placed on their head. Okay? You with me? Okay. 
In all of these passages, Paul was picturing the believer as a competitor in a spiritual contest. As the victorious Grecian athlete appeared before the Bema to receive his perishable award, so the Christian will appear before Christ Bema to receive his imperishable reward. Listen to this right here. This is important, y'all. The judge at the Bema bestowed rewards to the victors. He did not whip the losers. We might add, neither did he sentence them to hard labor. In other words, it is a reward seat and portrays the time of rewards or loss of rewards following examination. Okay? It's there for rewards, y'all. That's what's being weighed in the balance. I know that judgment can kind of have this, this eh, feel on it. Like, hey, Alex, come over here. Let me judge you. Nah, I think I'll stay here. Right? Hey, Alex, come over here. Let me reward you. You hear that? All right, I'm all in. What time? <laughs> it's, a, it's a judgment of rewards. Okay? That's so, so important that we get that. It might look something like this. Again, I'm going to use kiddos because I'm a dad. That's how my mind thinks. I wish I was one of these cool dads that rewarded my kids for good grades, but I'm not. Okay? But let's pretend that I was. And so, hey, kids, you bring home an A? Five bucks a pop, baby. You know? And what would be happening if they came home and said, Dad, here's my report card. And I took that report card and I said, let me see what the damage is. And I was looking at that report card and I was doing it with the intent of five bucks, five bucks, five bucks, five bucks, five bucks. You see that? What would that be? Wouldn't that be an evaluation for reward? Wouldn't that be a judgment, weighing, measuring? So I can love and bestow and pour out and reward and bless? I think it's very similar. I think it's very similar. Are you seeing it a little bit differently? Okay, good. Because we started with Bama, run! Bear, run. And I just think the Lord wants to change that entirely and move us from a place of a spirit of fear to a spirit of power and love and a sound mind, not just in this life, when we see him face to face. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. You guys are probably starving for scripture like, Brandon, read the Bible. <clears throat> Let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11. That's where... I want to go first. These are, we're going to look at the two scriptures where Bema is mentioned in the Bible. Here we go. I'm going to move quickly. I know I've been moving slow. I'll pick it up a little bit. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. This is Paul talking. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well-known to God, and I also trust we are well-known in your consciences. Who with me wants to go? That one is a little bit hard to swallow. I'm with you, David. I hear you, man. <laughs> I had to look at it for hours before I could get it to make sense, right? But we got there. So this is where I want to start. 
That word right there, judgment seat of Christ, that is bema in the Greek, right? And the reason we're going there is so that each one might receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Doesn't that sound a whole lot like the first scripture in Colossians we read where it's like, good, reward, bad, punishment. Doesn't that sound like that? Okay, good. To me too. Listen to this. Um, Another online article, just where I was this week. Grace to you. The use of the word bad does not indicate, we're diving a little bit into the Greek here, the use of the word bad does not indicate that believer's judgment is a judgment on sin, since all their sin has already been judged in Christ, that we already talked about, okay? The contrast between good and bad is not one between moral good and moral evil. Bad, if it were that, it would be translated kakos or paneros. Hopefully no one in the room knows Greek, they'll be crucifying me right now. The words for moral evil, but phallos, P-H-A-U-L-O-S, which means worthless or useless, okay? So our English doesn't do us a lot of justice here. Not so much good or bad, worth something, worth nothing. Useful, useless. You hear that? That changes it a little bit. We're going to receive the things done in the body, right? Those things that are worth something, reward, and those things that are worth nothing, nothing. Do you guys hear that? There's a very familiar passage in 1 Corinthians 3 where you have gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. That's probably what comes to mind, and it's good. It should come to mind. We're going to get there, but we're not going to get there until next week. What I want you to hear right there is, again, we're not talking about Christians being held accountable for sin. It's not there, y'all. You have to divorce yourself from that mentality, okay? It's a judgment of rewards. If there's A's on the report card, five bucks coming your way. If there's not, love you. You hear me? Keep trying. Keep working hard. Right? It is a weighing. It is an evaluation with a heart from God that is for you and me that wants to reward us. That is determining by fire what is worth reward and what is not. What is useful and what is useless, okay? Now, here's the other part that can be a bit more of a challenge. In 11 right there, where Paul says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. How are you gonna get around that one, Brandon? Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> I don't think he's talking about the judgment seat at all in that passage, okay? And if you'll look in the Greek, a better translation, again, would be knowing the fear of the Lord. So also interested that you mentioned that as well, Pastor Alex. Knowing the fear of the Lord. Knowing what it is to fear the Lord. We persuade men. Now, what you have to hear is, look at, look at the way it changes. I know I'm teaching you a little bit here. We're digging a little bit here. But look at the way it changes. Talking about the judgment seat. Going to receive the things done in the body. Useful, useless. And then, knowing what it is to fear the Lord, we persuade men. That's talking about his ministry. That's talking about we win men to Christ. This is what motivates us, okay? We'll get into it a little bit more. 
here in just a second, but also let me go up to verse 8. Look at verse 8. If Paul is talking about this judgment seat of Christ being a place of the terror of the Lord, why would he say what he says in verse 8? We are confident. Yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body than to be present with the Lord. I'm telling you what, ladies and gents, if I was going to a place, you looking for where I am? 2 Corinthians 5, 8. If I was going to a place that was full of the terror of the Lord, I would not be confident. And I certainly would not be well pleased. It would not be my pleasure to go there, which tells me, Paul didn't do it that way. And Paul isn't saying that it's that way right here, even though it looks like he is, okay? <clears throat> Stay with me. Stay with me, stay with me, okay? So we have eight that kind of works against that. Also, I want you to look at the language. Knowing, therefore, what it is to fear the Lord, I'm in 11, okay? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11. Knowing, therefore, what it is to fear the Lord, we, we win men over, but we are well-known to God, and I also trust are well-known in your consciences. What is Paul talking about here? He's talking about their motivation for ministry, Right? But we, knowing what it is to fear the Lord, knowing wisdom, knowing what it is to hate what God hates and love what God loves, we who have a right understanding of who God is, we persuade men, we win them over, and we're well known to God. He knows that's our motivation. He knows that's what drives us, and we trust, and we believe that you know the same thing, right? Motivation, that is the conversation here. If you keep reading, it will become clearer and clearer, for we do not commend ourselves again to you. You hear that? We don't need to have this conversation again. We don't need to prove ourselves again. But give you an opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. If we're beside ourselves, it's for God. If we're of sound mind, it's for you. The love of Christ compels us. Motivation. What's driving you, Paul, and others? What's motivating you? And that had been called into question. And he is simply picking this conversation back up and saying, our motivation is God, a right understanding of God. And our motivation is you. If you go back over to 2 Corinthians 2.17, you'll hear it again. Listen, this context, this is why context is so important, y'all, because it's a letter, it's a conversation. And listen to what he said in 2 Corinthians 2.17. Give me 10 minutes and I'll be done. For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, letters of confirmation from you? You are our epistle written in our hearts, right? You're our motivation. You're our proof. You're our validation. Did you guys hear that? That's, that's, that's expressing motive. That, that is laying out why we're here, doing what we're doing. And that's why that language sounds so familiar when you pick it up in 11, 12, 13, 14. Right? So I just want to encourage you all. Bless you. This is why the Lord calls us to rightly divide the word of truth because sometimes you've got to dig a little bit. 
Sometimes it's not what it appears to be at first glance, okay? And so Paul is not calling this place a place of terror. In fact, he says, to be absent from the body, present with the Lord, that's my pleasure. That's my confidence. Now, why should it be any different for you and me? Fair? All right, let's look at the other one. We'll be done. Romans 14, 5 through 13. One person esteems, picking it up in five, one person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day to the Lord, he doesn't observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat. And he gives God thanks. I'm in seven. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Bema. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. Every tongue confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Isn't that good? There's your second and only instance in the epistles for this word, bema, or judgment seat of Christ. Now, the way we walk through those, one of the big things I want you to see is sin's not a part of this conversation. See it? Okay? So, Cut that off in your mind. Sin's not on the table. Reward. Reward is on the table. And the context of this passage is just that. Look at it. Look at it. To one, he esteems one day as to the Lord. And another, every day is alike as to the Lord. And to another, he doesn't eat as to the Lord. And to another, he eats as to the Lord. Stop judging each other based on that. We have our judge. We have the one that will. Now, this again, it can have that tone. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God, unless the conversation sounds like this. Lord, I kept that day holy to you. That was, that was unto you. I didn't work that day to you. I, I worked that to you. I didn't eat that to you. I ate that to you. Do you see that? That's giving account, right? And so I don't need to judge what Bonnie does is under the Lord. And Bonnie doesn't need to judge what I do as under the Lord because each of us will have opportunity to say, Jesus, I did this as under you. And then he will weigh. He will evaluate for reward with a heart to bless and a heart to pour out. Changes the tone of the conversation. Let me show you one more thing. That as I live, says the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me. Every tongue shall confess. That's Isaiah 45, 23. Now, it's shared in the context of the Bema, right? The judgment seat of Christ. 
Isn't that interesting? That's where it's shared. You want to see what that confession looks like? So important, y'all. Do we have that one, Kevin? So, thank you. So important, y'all, because, again, we have to really ask ourselves, how have I always viewed this approach? How will I approach the judgment seat of Christ? How will I approach the Lord? What will that look like? This tells us, the Lord speaking, I've sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, <clears throat> that to me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall take an oath. And what's that oath look like? He shall say, surely in the Lord I have righteousness and strength. To him men shall come, and all shall be ashamed, who are incensed against him, church. Is that you? Not me, right? I am. Surely in the Lord I have righteousness and strength. That's how we'll come to him. That's what that confession's talking about. It's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. That's the confession when we come before him. Lord, I have righteousness and strength in you. Doesn't that hit your spirit right? And then a conversation about reward from a God who will be just as for you and I on that day as he is this day. And as he was on the day that he bled and he died and he rose again. That's what we're dealing with at the judgment seat of Christ. So I open with, Bema, run! And I want you to know, this is a place that we run to, not away. That's what the Lord wants to change, okay? In my mind and in your mind. Part two, next week, what are rewards based on? Is the Lord's expectation realistic? What are the types of rewards? Why is that important? And what do we do with it? Father, we bless you. We love you. We exalt you. Thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you tonight, Father. Thank you for a holy God drawing near to mere men and women. Father, I just ask you to speak to us as we go. Draw us close to you. Make us more like you. Lord Jesus, I pray that something that would cause us to run faster, harder, would spark in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you all. <laughs> I mean, we can sing, but it's 808, so I'm trying to get you guys out of here. And that's exactly right. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Eastside Church Podcast. If you have any questions or need more information, visit our website, eastsidechurch.co.